Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. We are, uh, we're talking about losers today. <laughs> oh, man, I'm a loser, baby. So why, why don't, don't you kill, you kill me? me? Uh, speaking of that era, remember that band, The Presidents of the United States of America? Yeah, changed the world with only five strings between them. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, yeah, that was their whole gimmick. But uh, I re-listened to a couple of their tunes. They had that song Lump, which I think is still kind of a banger. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, let's, how can anyone forget Peaches? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, being yes. situated where we are, millions of peaches, peaches for me. Um, you like peaches, Ben? Yeah, I'm not averse to a peach. There's something, uh, I think my childhood view of peaches was probably skewed because I had had to pick them in the past, and then also growing up, <clears throat> there were a lot of poems out there about how sensual peaches are. Now, ah, yes, so so felt, the erotic fruit. Exactly. So that that was a weird thing for young Ben to hear, and and you're Noel, and that's our super Does producer, I? Max Williams. Does he? Who also, Max, this idea uh, was your concept. You came to us with this. We think it's going to be a continuing series. We're not going to do them all consecutively because, as it turns out, maybe we're being a little unfair when we call these folks losers. The, the better term would be people who repeatedly and unsuccessfully ran for president. Which is, you know, there's no shame in that. Only 46 people have ever had the job, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you're in somewhat of a, of a rarefied air, you know, um, with that particular job. And as we know, it doesn't necessarily like pay a gazillion dollars, but it does afford some pretty serious opportunities after the fact for book deals. And not to mention all of the, uh, the associations and contacts that you make while in that job that you could then parlay into other interesting gigs as a civilian. 
Oh, yeah. Good call on that one. You got the book deals. You got the speaking circuit. You got all sorts of boards and foundations. Yeah, you're and you get a pension unless you really mess up. So uh, if you have been president, even an unpopular president, uh, then you are pretty well set up for the rest of your life in the in the public sector. Uh, but we know we know there are elections in democracies, which means there has to be a loser. There has to be a winner. And we all remember the names of the winners because, you know, history is sort of written by the winners when you think about it. But like Max pointed out, we don't know the names of a lot of the unsuccessful candidates, you know, like the Goldwaters, for instance, or the uh, Samuel J. Tildens. You would know about that if you are an historian or if you're a big presidential history buff. And uh, I don't, you know what this reminded me of at the top, and I know we're going to talk about it later, but when you guys were growing up, and you're in history class in school. Did you ever hear those stories uh, where the teacher would say, well, Abraham Lincoln ran and then he lost, but he didn't give up. And that's America, you know? That is America, baby. <laughs> Never give up. But sometimes that uh, perseverance ain't for nothing. It can pay off sometimes. We've got five presidents in particular where that stick-to-itiveness, that can-do spirit has, in fact, led to, to great success. We've got your Thomas Jeffersons and Andrew Jacksons and William Henry Harrisons and Grover Clevelands of the world uh, and also Richard Nixon, who was a loser for a different reason. All these fellas finished as uh, second-place winners, runner-ups, also rands, uh, but then they later won themselves the presidential election. But unfortunately, there were quite a few um, folks, maybe not quite a few, but a few folks who ran on a major party ticket a second time and lost. And two folks who even did it a third time and uh, also lost that third time. Mm -hmm. And what... <laughs> Before we get into our examples for part one of this series, I just got to note, that's kind of unusual for jobs in general. If you apply for a job and they say you're not the right fit, and then you come back next year and you say, how about now? And then you come back the third time and say, how about now? I'm going to say it's even worse than that, Ben. So it would be like, you know, if I came here and I talked to you, Ben, and you're like, yeah, Max, I'll see you. You took me up to the iHeart's high ups and they're like, nah, he's good. And then a year later, I came to you and you said, yeah, let's do that again. And we go to the iHeart high ups and they're like, no, no, seriously, we're not doing this. And we did it a third time because it's like they got the nomination from their party a couple times. It's not like they just showed up and said, let's do this. <laughs> You know, what's funny about that, Max, is Noel and I have done that exact thing before with some of our team members. Um, I, I assumed as much, but yeah. <laughs> because we can be we can be a bit tenacious. And I, I, I think that's, you know, I, I think that's a good character quality for both of us. Maybe that makes us regular Charles C. Pinkney's, not to be confused with another guy named just Charles Pinkney. We'll yeah, the C. The C yeah. is important. Yeah, the C very, is very different people. Uh, we're talking here today about Charles Coatsworth Pinkney. Love it. I love a Born Coatsworth. Born of February of the 25th, 1746. Uh, he was a soldier, diplomat, statesman, uh, destined for a life of public service. Um, in 1769, he became a member of the South Carolina Assembly served his country in the South Carolina First Provincial Congress of 1775. And he later 
um, was a member of both houses of the South Carolina legislature. Yeah. Yeah. So he's involved in politics from early on. His involvement in American politics predates the United States. That's how old school he is. He later worked with George Washington in a couple of different capacities. He commanded a regiment in Savannah. He was there at the Constitutional Convention, along with his cousin, the other guy named Charles Pinckney. And uh, and here's what went down with our buddy Chuck. It's 1796. The Federalist Party, which was still a big thing, supports John Adams for president, but their vote got split. And because their vote got split, old Tommy J, Thomas Jefferson, became the vice president. And this was, this is something that I think all students of U.S. history have found kind of weird. For a while there at the beginning, if you won the election, you became president, the guy who was running against you, or excuse me, the person who was running against you, automatically became vice president. So your worst nemesis is supposed to be your co-pilot of democracy. It made for some awkward state dinners. We can only imagine. Oh, absolutely. It sure did. The 1800 election was, in fact, a, uh, a rematch between Adams and Jefferson. And in order to keep the same result from uh, transpiring a second time, uh, repeating the 1796 election, both parties um, essentially wanted to ensure that their electors were united. You know, those, those, those tricksy electors, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that the members of the college. Yeah, exactly. So they said, let's move as a unit. Let's be a unified front. We don't want the enemy in our house again. So Adams on the Federalist side runs with uh, whom the person Max has decided to refer to as our boy, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, while Jefferson's running mate was uh, the infamous Aaron Burr of Hamilton fame. Uh, that whole election could be its own episode, but the long story short, as the internet says, the TLDR version, is that their system didn't work. It wasn't the best idea. Jefferson still became president instead of Aaron Burr. So uh, Charles Pinckney is not in the game, but he doesn't give up. He takes this on the chin. He hits the, uh, he hits the floor of the boxing ring, and he says, I, you know, he gets up like Captain America. He's like, I could do this all day. And he runs for president again in 1804. And this did not go particularly well. Um, Jefferson was uh, in a particularly good position, the catbird seat, as it were, to win that second term. Um, he had maintained moderate policy agendas that helped him kind of become the sort of go-between uh, the, the the parties, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, um, to, you know, basically playing partisan politics. Jefferson secured all of the electors uh, except just, just a couple, Connecticut, Delaware, and two of Maryland's votes. And Pinckney then would go on to try again in 1808, and this time things looked a lot more sunshiny for the guy. Thomas Jefferson 
had kind of blessed James Madison, who was his secretary of state, given him the the old uh, the, the successorship kind of, you know, seal of approval. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this thing that had caused sort of like a bit of an outcry, a bit of an uproar amongst the, uh, the, the citizenry. The Embargo Act of 1807, which was a risky foreign policy <clears throat> maneuver that Jefferson uh, and Madison had come up with, And it had some uh, unfortunate, unintended consequences, some negative impacts on the United States economy. And it led to kind of fracturing within the Democratic Republican Party, some sort of splintering of of, of groups. Yeah. So the Embargo Act is pretty, it's a pretty broad brush, to be honest. The idea was that Uncle Sam wanted to stop the United Kingdom stopped Britain from basically pressing American sailors into non-consensual service. And as like, that's the seed of the idea. What it ended up being is a general trade embargo on all foreign nations, which is very bad for a young nation, right? So this was terrible for business. It doesn't make Jefferson look great. And the Federalist Party, which again, still a thing, says, you know, you guys aren't even going far enough with how bad the Embargo Act is. As a matter of fact, we think James Madison is working against this country. We find him seditious, traitorous, uh, because how else could you explain such a stupid, unhelpful policy? (laughs) And uh, because of that, in this time of chaos, uh, C.C. Pink's Uh, Charles C. Pinckney, is elected as the presidential nominee because people hate him less just right now. He's the less terrible Uh, guy. (laughs) Yeah, that that sort of sounds like a a bit of a mirror of uh, of current politics. Maybe not quite as extreme, but yeah, I don't think people were exactly super stoked about Biden, but he was definitely, you know, better than the alternative uh, for folks on the Democratic side. Um, So, right, he was nominated. He didn't get the nomination, which is in and of itself a big deal because they're really having to put all of their support, put all of their eggs in his proverbial basket. And uh, former U.S. ambassador and New York Senator Rufus King was nominated for vice president. And that is the exact same ticket that the Federalists had uh, presented back in 1804. So history repeating. Yeah. Also, shout out to the old uh, the old figure of speech that if you it's insanity to do the same thing and expect different results. So they just said, hey, remember that thing that didn't work last time around? What about now? Right now that things are worse and uh, the Federalists were doing pretty well in New England, but unfortunately, they didn't do well enough. Madison won the Electoral College again. He got uh, 122 electoral votes to Pinckney's 47. And what this meant is that the Democrat slash Republican Party is becoming a clear winner. It's just got the, it's the LeBron of uh, political parties at this point, which is a little unfair because there are way more people playing basketball today than there are political parties in the U.S. But don't overthink the comparison. What we're saying is this was the nail in the coffin for Pinckney's attempts at running for president. And he says, you know what? 
I gave it a go. I gave it my my due diligence, and I'm just going to go into law. I'm just going to be a lawyer. A lot of these guys were lawyers, basically. So it's not as if he was hurting for a job. No, and that that continues to be a pretty important prerequisite to this day, right? I mean, a lot of folks that successfully uh, win the presidency do have backgrounds in law. Oh, yeah. And there's there's also an interesting thing when you look at other countries. Like, in, I believe it was the government of China, the majority of political figures tend to be engineers or people with an engineering background, hmm. whereas the majority of people or a, a huge minority, at least, a significant portion of uh, politicians in the U.S. are, as you said, attorneys. Now, do you think that's just a uh, cultural difference or is there something in that system of government that's conducive to, you know, having that background being sort of helpful versus ours? Yeah, it's a good question, man. I've always wondered, and I don't have an answer for that, uh, but we would, of course, love to hear your take on that, folks. And and the statistic may have changed over time, but I, I remember reading that. That's one that stayed with me. So there we go. Our first guy who is <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever the best man, never the groom of the wedding of American politics, uh, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, uh, he seems to unfortunately have a contagious air of defeat about him because later Federalist nominees like DeWitt Clinton run and they lose to Madison again. And then in 1816, Rufus King, who you mentioned earlier, former vice president candidate, vice presidential candidate to Pinckney, he runs and he gets waxed uh, nobody, nobody is back in the Federalist Party enough to even really swing the needle. So that is Pinckney. And you could also make a case that part of the reason you don't hear about the Federalist Party running candidates now, or like as a political party, is because of this series of defeats throughout this era of history. There's still the Federalist Society, but that's uh, that's a whole other bag of badgers. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental 
part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right. Up next, we have uh, a fella that kind of hits home. It's a little close to home, at least conceptually. Uh, a guy named Henry Clay. Here's a quote from Senate.gov on Henry Clay. Uh, Henry Clay enjoyed a distinguished political career, even though he never attained his greatest desire, the presidency. Oh, poor Henry Clay didn't get his heart's desire. Uh, what he did get, though, is uh, immortalized um, in indie rockdom uh, with the uh, Los Angeles-based band The Henry Clay People, who, according to their Wikipedia, is the unofficial house band of our pals Josh and Chuck's podcast, Stuff You Should Know. Nice. Yeah. And Henry Clay was a politician of note. He had his bona fides. He had his stripes. He was a man of the state. But he never attained the holy grail for every U.S. politician, which is the presidency. He's born on April 12th, 1777 in Hanover County, Virginia. Like a lot of people at the time, he did not have the most extensive for, uh, formal education. But he still taught himself law and was admitted to the bar in both Kentucky and Virginia in 1797, so at the, at the young age of 20. And then he becomes a member of the Kentucky House of Representatives, where he serves, well, he serves three separate terms in the U.S. House, and 
he gets to be Speaker of the House pretty frequently. If you've been paying attention to U.S. news, you know that was recently a whole kerfuffle. Uh, And then he was in the U.S. Senate not once, but four different times. And over the course of his political career, he just keeps trying to run for president. And it just doesn't, it, it doesn't work out. Let's go to uh, 1824, maybe. Let's, let's do that. <clears throat> but first, really quickly, I just want to get pull the room here. What is that about? So this this drive that we're sort of exploring, mm-hmm. you know, you're already you already have a successful career in politics. You know, as we know, I mean, te- theoretically, you kind of make more of an impact as a member of the legislature. You know, you can actually affect laws and, and things like that and your constituents and you're actually working for the people. The president is a bit more of a figurehead job. I mean, you definitely have a lot of power and you can veto things and all of that. But it just feels like. Where where is the drive? To, where where does that come from? Is, is it about like you know wanting to be the top dog? Is it entirely ego driven, or is there something that I'm missing as to maybe this Henry Clay fellow or, or or you know our buddy Pinckney just really thought that they could affect more change from the presidential palace? I mean, I won't speak to all of them, but I will speak about. I think this for Henry Clay is there was just kind of this assumption with these guys that eventually they would be president. They paid their dues. They they deserved the seat. They and, they were, and they were so, like, instrumental in policy decisions and stuff. And the truth is, it's like, you know, as president, you can really lead what direction the policies are going. Like, obviously, you aren't in on the day-to-day of the making and passing of the, of the policies, but you're like, we're going to do this thing. It's going to most likely get done, or at least your party's going to push for it. So it's you're really kind of spearheaded. You're it. setting the tone. You also have, uh, as president, uh, you have particular powers in the realm of foreign relations and policy. So as in, in this time, in the 1800s, right, uh, this would be an instrumental lever of power. And also, like you said, you no know, people are uh, sort of inculcated in the system. They're entrenched. They're the devil you know, which gives them a tremendous advantage over like a person of the people, even though so many politicians try to portray themselves that way. That's why you see, (laughs) I don't want to sound too conspiratorial, but that's why you see people who are deep in Washington, D.C. culture come election time, all of a sudden pretending to own a farm. They're walking around, they're mending a fence. Now they have a truck. They got a cowboy hat. It makes no (laughs) sense. They don't wear that normally. I might be a TV doctor, but now look at me hunting. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's that business of uh, garnering favor has always existed in some way. And I would also I would also point out that you have to you have to be pretty ambitious to want and pursue uh, a job that only one person can have at a time and less than 50 people have ever had. You know what I mean? There can be more than one astronaut at a time, but there's an ego there. That's a, a little, I was about to say, it's a it's a mixed bag. I mean, certainly I agree about, you know, being able to kind of steer the party's, you know, agenda, let's just say. Um, but I think that that rarefied air that we talked about at the top of the show certainly smells really sweet to some of these folks, uh, including our buddy Henry Clay, who ran for president in 1824 at 47. Um, and apparently... This one went down as one of the most nasty, hard-fought, chaotic, and corrupt elections in American history. 
Now, I don't know if that um, stacks, how that stacks up against the insurrection, you know, that we've seen uh, of, of recent years. I would think that one probably will hold a place in that historical canon. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This one actually got decided by the House of Representatives, which was kind of the goal of the insurrection was to get to that point. Okay, so this one took it a step further, uh-huh. maybe with a little bit less uh, actual, you know, violence on our home turf. Ooh. So with the fall of the uh, Federalist Party, the Democratic Republicans were now the only game in town. They were the one major American political party, which seems kind of counterintuitive to the whole idea of political parties, doesn't it? Um, so four candidates were running for office. We have your John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, Somebody named William Crawford, he seems to have faded a bit from from political memory. Well, he basically nearly died during this election. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Poor guy. We'll get back to him. And our buddy, Henry Clay. Uh, And they were all running under the, you know, I guess, heading of Democratic Republicans. Isn't that funny now, the idea of Democratic Republicans? (laughs) It seems like like an oxymoron, right? Like jumbo shrimp, you know? (laughs) Right. There we go. I think you're right. There's a huge danger to only one political party running the show, or honestly, only two political parties running the show. But these four different candidates, they all represent these different regions, these different parts of U.S. identity, and these very different ideologies. So when the electoral votes all get counted up, which is, again, not the popular vote, Jackson gets 99 votes. Adams gets 84. Crawford gets 41. Clay gets 37. And what this means is that nobody got a majority. There's no clear winner. Imagine that. Yeah, what's obvious is that these people from the regions of their chosen candidate are just supporting their boy. Right. And and that doesn't make for a very clean-cut election. 100%. I mean, at least when you have two, you know, political parties that are are kind of splitting people's you know, attention and and uh, and and opinions uh, down very specific ideological lines usually gives you something, well, pretty close to 50-50 sometimes in terms of the country's you know, perspective, uh, usually ekes out a little bit on one side. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes that margin is laughably close, right? Uh, and then sometimes it seems pretty historic and secure. Neither of those cases happened here. Uh, the House of Representatives then had to choose among the top three people. They went back to the their paperwork and they looked at the Twelfth Amendment and they said, "Okay, it's us. It's up to us, great reps that we are, to you know pick one of these three. So Jackson, Adams, or Crawford. So Clay is cut out. Old old Henry Dice Clay. Kidding. Uh, is wouldn't cut, that be fun? It would Dice be Man for president. Yeah, the Dice Man cometh. Oh, his. I don't know, man. His comedy did not age well. We're it's not- a fun <laughs> artifact, though, to experience yes. because it, you can you can find some of his standups on oh, YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the best part about it is watching the audience. They are the yuppiest yuppies, the whitest oh, yeah. yuppiest yuppies I've ever seen in my entire life. And they just think his Mary had a little lamb and she was a 
You know, like uh, you can bleep that part out. That's literally his whole bit. You I know, think he's it's, just saying yeah. dirty, transgressive words. But when I was a kid, I'll be honest, I love that stuff. I didn't know most of what it meant, but I knew I would get in trouble if I said it. And I was exactly. like, look at this guy. You know, he's hot. Oh, but uh, yeah, Henry Henry Clay, in what we can only imagine, was a tremendous, oh, gets eliminated. He can't be president, but he's still Speaker of the House. So you have lost the game, and now you're the guy who decides who wins the game. Which, you know, could be a recipe for bitterness uh, to a lesser statesman. Ultimately, February 9th, 1825, Adams is elected president. He wins 13 states. This gives him the majority. And uh, right after Adams gets inaugurated, Clay becomes secretary of state, which to me sounds like a little bit of quid pro quo, Clarice. Mm, you know, one yes, hand washing mm. the other. Yeah. Indeed. Now that film does hold up. It, it absolutely holds it's up. It's nuts how good that is. It's very good. But you know why it holds up, Ben? Um, because it's just good and it doesn't feel like it's repping an era per se or like it doesn't have any hallmarks of 80s or 90s-ness. It was one of those like 80s, 90s cusp movies. But like anything that is remotely dated works for the movie. Like that song, Goodbye Horses, obviously, very 80s sounding song, but the way it's used is just iconic. And it just, you'll never hear that song and not think of Buffalo Bill dancing tucked in the mirror. Yeah. And also that kind of, when you do really well in a role like that actor, it can be bad for your career to be a very talented portrayer of a serial killer. He did go on to have a pretty good long running career, I believe in one of the Law and Order series. Yes, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, one of the true crime things, mm -hmm. but but you did you didn't see him in a ton and ton of blockbuster feature films. Anyway, weirdly though, they also didn't cast him as another serial killer creep to my uh, recollection. No, at least I think one it's a one was... and done. Just like the the guys in Mindhunters mm -hmm. were saying, "Hey, this will be my one time." as Ed Kemper or whatever. Although, to, not to contradict you too directly, Ben, but the guy that played Charles Manson in Mindhunter also played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in yeah, Hollywood. Well, that guy's an exception because he looks exactly like Charles 100 Manson. 100%. That is, as, that, that I is mean, why. He has to do that. If he had a job selling cars, his manager would say, hey, man, you're either doing great because everybody wants to buy a car from Manson or you're doing terrible because everybody is scared how much you by how much you resemble Charles Manson. Anyway, last, uh, <laughs> last point on this, uh, and this is a controversial point before we move on with Clay. Uh, I was listening to unrelated research for a different show. I was listening to a lot of actual interviews with serial murderers and not in a glorified way. It hit me, and I hate to say it, but I think most serial murderers would probably want a podcast. And I think I think Ed Kemper probably could have hosted a podcast. Oh, yeah. Charles Manson definitely could have. I, I bet his podcast would have been called Stacking the Nickels. Mm -hmm. You know, with, with Charles. Maybe you've seen that I amazing roll clip. The nickels. That's I it. Roll the nickels. The yes. game is mine. The game is mine. Back to Henry Clay, which, by the way, yeah. uh, does strike me as a bit of a serial killer. I was going to say, there's no proof that he's not a serial killer. 
<laughs> you like yeah. that that little bit of logic parkour? That's anyway. how we do. That's how <laughs> that's all it takes. You know, no 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 proof to the contrary. But at this point, you know, I certainly probably likely would have said, you know what, F- it, I can't. I- I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm going to do something else. Or it would have broken my psyche, and then I may have become Henry Clay, the serial killer. But Henry Clay was 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 not your average guy, and he decided that he absolutely wanted to continue this pursuit. Yeah, so he still wants to become president. Again, tenacious, ambitious, and not one to give up easily. He gets his next chance in 1832, and he's directly running against Andrew Jackson, Jackson is still a pretty popular guy in politics as he's ending his first term as president. But there's he's a, kind of a trash person, though, right? No, Isn't he's not he a good the, person. Yeah, he's no. one of those dudes that really, uh, upon further inspection, was like one of the worst. Yeah, but the, the kind of the problem with it, the, especially this era of politics, is you're like, wow, that person's a trash person. Who are they running against? And you look at who they're running against. Like, yeah. wow, that person's somehow even more of a trash person. It was kind of a trash contest. But mm-hmm. the uh, the thing is, in in this realm, even if you're a fan of Jackson at the time, you have to admit that he is he has such personal enmity against his vice president, John C. Calhoun, that it is impacting the business of politics. It's messing up both of their jobs mm. in, in the Capitol. So the fa- so like he starts saying, he starts saying this other stuff that strikes people sideways. He says, we need to get rid of the electoral college. Uh, we need to get rid of rotation of office and federal government. Uh, that I want to make some big changes, all of which seem to empower me, by the way. Uh, Mm. And so people don't like that because they're saying, hey, our whole thing is we don't want kings, even though low-key we tried to make George Washington king back in the very beginning. Uh, So he is maybe feeling a little too authoritarian for some people. And all, all this to say it leads the National Republicans to nominate Henry, oh, Clay, uh, for president, and they run against him, and Clay takes an L. He absolutely loses because Jackson was unpopular, but uh, still more popular than Clay, you could say. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. 
right? It's- oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Again, most people would have given up the ghost, thrown in the proverbial towel at this point, but not Henry Clay. He says, I'm going to, I see a lot of potential here. I'm going to take all these people who don't vibe with Jackson and I'm going to make a party based on not liking Jackson. And if you try to build something based entirely on objections to something else without a positive direction or path, then you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. I posit to you, gentlemen, that is the story of the Whig party. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is a good tactic to to maybe divide people, but it's not a very good tactic for, you know, getting the job done because when you divide people, then no one can agree on anything and everything's just kind of based on that divisiveness instead of like, you know, unity and like betterment of our country and the, the lives of everyday people. So, yeah, the Whigs uh, really had nothing in common outside of their hatred of Jackson. They had no central kind of governing ideology. 
and they were often divided on these these very you know kind of broad lines. So the election of 1836 uh, really threw a huge spotlight on these issues um, when the party entered its first presidential uh, contest. And they ran no less than three candidates from wildly different parts of the country. Clay, however, was not one of them. Yeah, yeah. This is where Martin Van Buren wins. Because, again, there's a lot of king-making here. There's a lot of guys being kind of mafioso about this and say, this is my chosen you know, successor. This is my boy. He will run the operation when my time is best. And that was... That was a uh, 10-10 impression of President Jackson talking about Martin Van Buren. No one fact check it. Uh, so Van Buren wins the presidency. What a day. What a great week that guy is having until the economy just goes into a tailspin. That's the problem with being president. You're also held responsible for a ton of stuff that you could never actually control. So you become the country's number one scapegoat. And there's this depression that ensues. Uh, This chaos looks like an opportunity for the Whig Party. And they're saying when this 1840 election comes up, since everybody's so mad at Van Buren, it's our time to shine, baby. And uh, Clay thinks, finally, all my work will have led to something. And he's wrong because his party nominated another guy, a general named William Henry Harrison. He's a war hero. You know him from Tippecanoe. And uh, they said they did this because they were kind of like a marketing department. When you think about it, they they were looking at stuff they thought people would like. And they said, you know, America elected Jackson because he's a military man. So let's find a military guy, not necessarily a politician. And that's when Clay said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep a stiff upper lip. I'm going to keep my chin up. I'm going to go with the party. And I am also going to promote William Henry Harrison, even though I've always wanted to be president, and I think I would be pretty good about it. And then someone says, Clay, what are you mumbling over there? And he goes, nothing, go Wigs. Go Wigs. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a, there was a really fun band uh, out of Athens, Georgia, called The Wigs uh, for a while. Um, and I always enjoyed them, and I thought that was a clever name for a band, because it kind of sounds more like a band than a party. But uh, William Henry Harrison, as you uh, mentioned, he didn't last long. <laughs> Poor fellow, he had a. I mean, he must have been a frail as a as a daffodil, as uh, as Max likes to affectionately call Ben and I. Sometimes he made a bit of a long winded speech in the rain and uh, didn't go well for him after that. And uh, Max, to your point, off mic, this isn't necessarily proof positive of what killed him, but it's definitely something that's that's talked about a lot in like presidential lore. Oh yeah, it it was. Um... Let's see. I think the speech itself, according to the transcript, was 8,445 words. This is very long, and people have to stand uh, stand there the whole time. You can't dip out, right? Uh, for comparison, I think the shortest inaugural address ever was George Washington's second address. It was 135 words. It's basically like he came in and said, good game, everybody, you know? All done. We yeah. did it. 
Deuces. U.S. rules. Britain drools. All right. Let's get some nog. Who wants to nog it up, baby? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get stinko. <laughs> you guys ever heard that expression? It's an old one. Like getting stinko. That's getting really drunk. I guess. Oh, I've maybe. heard blotto as yeah, well. Blotto's good. Stinko's a good one. You hear it. If you watch any like noir movies, you'll learn, you'll have a great new uh, 50s vocabulary for getting really wasted. Oh, also Harrison was, uh, the weather was like 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, Harrison wasn't wearing the kind of uh, clothing you would wear. He didn't have an overcoat or hat or gloves. Uh, and then he, <laughs> look, yeah, I'm not saying he deserved to die, but you made me hang out in the rain like that, listening to you babble on and on. You're not my favorite person, I'll tell you that. <laughs> right, you know, it's, this is why we should have a TV show where we do reproductions of stuff, or at least guest on Drunk History. Anyhow, so yeah, it, like, like Max said, uh, it's not conclusively proven that his speech right before he caught a cold led to his death. But, um, but it feels weird. Anyway, he got sick like three weeks after he made that speech. So it might've just been his habit of walking out and maybe he was doing a bunch of off the book speeches at just random people in bad weather. Maybe just night walks where he just was talking to himself. All right. Thin ice, my friend. Thin ice. Hey, whoa, no, 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 no. I'm just saying. Night walks, you know, can be, a, can be a dangerous thing if you're not dressed appropriately. No, that's a very good point. And we, I, I think we both love, we both love a good night walk. Oh, man. And we can never tell the story of that one night walk in New York recently. We can tell. We can hint. We can hint. Like, show me the money. <laughs> there we go. There it is. That's or don't. You, that's it's entirely up to you. That's perfect. Yeah, poetry, Noel. So, all right. So immediately after Harrison dies, you know, you've got the uh, the secession, right? The changing of the guard and and the past peaceful passage of power, transfer of power. So John, <laughs> no, keep it. I always like that one. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, this makes John Tyler the president. John Tyler was never really intended to be the president by the Whig party. He was put up there as a demographic play. People liked mm. the part of the country he was from. You know, there's, there's a lot of that kind of horse trading in politics in general. Absolutely. Right? So uh, it, it became obvious that he was... He was like a wino, a Whig in name only, because he was only a Whig because he's beefed up with President Jackson. He didn't agree with any other thing that the Whigs stood for, like none of it. And so eventually they kicked him out of the party. That's how unpopular a president he was. Eventually, the Whig party itself was kind of on the downslope. And Henry Clay resigned from the Senate and said, you know, you know why he resigned, right? Can you guess? <laughs> As if we don't have the same notes. I can't guess, Ben, but I, I do know. And I think it was probably uh, a reasonable bet uh, that he he wanted to, to spend his time elsewhere uh, preparing to once again Run for president in 1844. Oh my God. I mean, come on. Like, it's, I, I respect 
you know, I respect the determination, the doggedness, and the ambition again. But at some point, don't you have to ask yourself, hey, am I being like someone who gambles too much? Am I am I just continually telling myself that this pull of the slots will be the one that makes me a millionaire? Right? I mean, it, it, tell yourself whatever you want. Uh, if, if you've got the stamina and the perhaps lack of self-awareness to keep pushing and pushing and pushing like this, I guess more power to you. But um, history is going to remember you this way. You're going to be in one of these podcasts. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that's just going to happen for you. Well, that you know, we're a nice show. We're nice to people. Uh, <laughs> I suppose we we're are. fair. Suppose we're we fair. Are. How about that? That's true. That's true. Harsh but fair. So this is, given the um, age that Clay is at this time, in 1844, he's 67 years old. So if we're being realistic about it, this is probably going to be one of the last, if not his last, chance to become president. And he finally has earned enough goodwill for the Whig party to support him. But he comes out looking bad in a couple of great debates of the time. The issue of annexing Texas, what that means for the horrific institution of slavery. This is uh, the most divisive political issue of, of the day for, for the, um, you know, for the politician class. And the Democratic nominee, a guy named James K. Polk from Tennessee, says, hey, manifest destiny. Ooh. Come on. Let's get big. U.S. baby. Uh, and people dig that. They're like, yeah, hey, you know what? James is right. We are great. We're just, you know, we are better than people is the thing. And we're going to vote for the guy who understands that. Also, it is funny, like, uh, you know, how the the notion of manifest destiny is a conquering notion, mm -hmm. right? At, yeah. at, at, at best. And it's very funny how quickly as a nation we start to resemble our conquering uh, uh, former, you know, overlords. Mm. Yeah. In, 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 old, in old Britain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. History moves in cycles, right? And history is not exactly a study in innovation as much as we would like it to be. Manifest Destiny uh, came about in 1845. That's when the phrase was coined. And it is very much a religious ideology. One, there is a God. And two, that God is crazy pro-United States. Forget all the other problems of the world, physics, chemistry, <laughs> and the universe. There is a God and, the God, and God's main thing, whether or not you've read the book, is that this one country, the U.S., should expand as much as possible. I got to say, Ben, I, I was hoping you were just going to stop it. There is a God, and that God is crazy. <laughs> that, God is, that God is nuts. Uh, all the speeches are very um, Werner Herzog from politicians at that time. So at this point, Clay has lost. He's nearing his 70s. He's... This is not a period in history where a 70-year-old president would be a common thing. Mm -mm. Right? He didn't live as long back then either, you know? Yes, I mean, that's yeah. the case. It's, it's cold to admit it, but it's true. So what does Clay do? Well, one would think he'd, he'd do the old Homer Simpson backing into the bushes uh, gif. Jif? Jif. Um, he thought about that. 
but he did end up returning to the Senate to assist in what was known as the Compromise of 1850. He he was able to to help kind of pull this thing out of the toilet. Uh, I was having some issues and and he was, you know, as a as a as a senior literally, um, you know, a senator was able to kind of help salvage the deal. But this would be the last thing that he did in government uh, or in in life perhaps. He passed away shortly thereafter from tuberculosis in June of 1852. And I think he was the first American to lay in state in the Capitol Rotunda before even Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, 12 years later, becomes the second American to lay in state in the Rotunda. And as a, as a result of this, you know, we're giving him a hard time a little bit, but, uh, Henry Clay had a long and storied career. That's why a lot of historians will tell you, even today, he is the most powerful and important American to have never become president. <laughs> and and look, we peppered this story, obviously, with some accomplishments that he did achieve. And he clearly was a, a, a competent statesman, but he just didn't have the range. He didn't have the range. And a lot of it is timing and luck you know, an opportunity. Uh, So you could be an amazing politician, a sincere one, uh, and different circumstances beyond your control could just make it such that a political party doesn't see you as a viable candidate. That happens a lot, by the way, in U.S. history and and in the history of democracies across the planet. Uh, We got to two people today. We went pretty in-depth on Pinckney and Clay, but there's much more to the story. As we said, we're going to make this a series that pops up every now and then when you least expect it. Um, (laughs) Maybe when we least expect it. But in the meantime, uh, we hope you enjoyed this look at an often ignored uh, but very important part of U.S. history. And hey, if you want to suggest to us another anthology style, uh, uh, you know, uh, collection of, of, of genres of stories, uh, you can hit us up on the Internet. Specifically, you can hit us up individually if you wish. Uh, I am on Instagram at How Now Noel Brown. Mr. Bolin, where can people find you? Oh, what a time to be alive, folks and uh, in users of Instagram. You can find me calling myself at Ben Bolin in a burst of creativity, B-O-W-L-I-N on Instagram. You can also head over to Twitter if you're more inclined to tweet and so on. Uh, you can find me at Ben Bolin, H-S-W. And while you are on Twitter, pro tip, don't follow me and then immediately say, well, I'm done. I've been super productive today. No, stay on Twitter and check out our pal, super producer, Max Williams. Yes, you can find me at ATL underscore Max Williams. That's where I'll be. Thanks, as always, to uh, you, Super Producer Max, uh, and Research Associate for this episode. Uh, Thanks, of course, to uh, Jonathan Strickland, uh, who, what'd you call him in the previous episode? I I think I called him a human leaf blower. Our our leaf blower. Yes, yes, indeed. He's Uh, our Henry Clay, right? Yes, he yeah. doesn't give up. Although we haven't heard from him in a while, but I think uh, that might change. Oh boy! In the He's... near term, you know what? I actually, I've got a got a summoning bell. Oh no! That's just me testing the bell. Okay, the don't. That's not. That wasn't. That was just practice spring. Also, Beetlejuice rules, so we're not going to say his full name. 
anymore right now. So in lieu of uh, summonings, uh, thanks also to Christopher Asiotis, Eve's Jeffcoat. Man, I'm such a fan of all our colleagues. Noel, sometimes I just want to thank people who aren't even associated with uh, uh, with the show. Or just make up names. Or just make up names. You know, thanks to Max Powers, astronaut with a secret, big supporter. Yeah. Thanks to Cuba Gooding Jr. He likes the show. Thanks to Cuba. Yeah. And, uh, and Noel, most importantly, man, uh, thanks to our listeners and thanks to you. Yeah, you as well. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.